Hello and welcome to R plus J equals podcast. I'm your host Joe Gatula, and with me as usual is my lovely wife Regina. Hello. Hi. Hi. You always just say hello in the most plain way. <laughs> what else am I supposed to say? Goodbye? Uh, maybe goodbye to some of the characters that we said goodbye to tonight. Yes, sadly. But then also not that sad because it wasn't as many people that we thought. And can I say, we just suck at predictions. <laughs> Everything that we thought and predicted, even from last week's episode, was just completely wrong. It's tough here especially because they built it up to be the end for so many different characters and i guess it was subverting our expectations to not really kill that many which is good because if you think of other you know comparable fantasy stories not a lot of main characters do really die like in lord of the rings and harry potter sorry spoiler alert so i mean there's only still three episodes left so maybe those people can die but a lot of those characters do have unsettled situations that they need to resolve like with the hound and with jamie and Tyrion and cersei so we kind of knew that those folks weren't gonna die i'm just really shocked brienne and pot i mean pod for god's sake survived so those are a little bit surprising but i'm happy that they survived i think in the grand scheme of things especially as you see the end of the episode it makes sense that less people died because Mm -hmm. We all thought everybody would die because they would not beat the Night King and mm-hmm. the Night King would continue to be a threat through the end of the series. Mm-hmm. But when you look at, back at it in retrospect, killing the Night King allows us to get some conclusions for some of these characters in the future. There is a future for them, so they couldn't really kill all of them off. Mm-hmm. Um, does it take the bite out of the episode previously at all to you? No. I mean, I think that episode before was just setting up for the long night and maybe a little bit with Brienne because I thought she would have had a perfect ending to her life after becoming a knight but I still think the previous episode was great and you know just overall this episode was amazing I watched it a second time and I actually was more amazed watching it the second time than I was the first time the first time I was basically like Sam in the very first scene where my hands are shaking I'm sweating sorry that's gross TMI but um I was just a nervous wreck and so I I don't want to say I enjoyed the episode because it was like a horror film but it was just so much more enlightening the second time in terms of just what was going on. I could process the information better. I could appreciate the beautiful graphics, especially with the dragons under the moon and the clouds. So I think the first time I watched it, though, I I just I wasn't excited to watch you, it. We talked about it all weekend. We were a ball of nerves. Like, <laughs> yeah. We weren't looking forward. We were looking forward to watching the episode, but at the same time, we were dreading it. It wasn't the normal excitement that we got from Game of Thrones because, honestly, we were just expecting a complete massacre. We were expecting more than half of our favorite characters to die. And, you know, going into my overall thoughts of the episode, I I wrestled with this basically for the last 24 hours. Technically, I love the episode, especially in terms of, like, the pacing the the structure of the battle 
the the moments where they cut away from the battle and and you get different ebbs and flows and following different characters i have basically almost no complaints other than some some plot holes here and there or just some logistical stuff but really really small things to to nitpick i think the main thing that i struggled with was essentially the the ending of the white walker Mm -hmm. and the night king plot line so early in this final season and at first blush i wasn't really for it i was Mm -hmm. kind of like hey this is for me personally what i cared about in the series the most and i thought at the end of the day this was going to be the big thing to end the series but no they ended it in the first half of the season so i wasn't really happy with that probably as i went to bed and then I believe your sister Tina sent an article. And if you want to explain that article and just the overall gist of everything. Yeah, I mean, I was like Joe, where after the first time I watched it, I was like, huh, okay, so that cannot be the end because this was culminating into the Great War. I thought this was going to be the end and they defeat the Night King. But then um, there's this article that George R. R. Martin had a quote in basically saying that You know, to him, he was always more interested in kind of the politics and who would essentially end up ruling Westeros. And so he takes a lot of, obviously, inspiration from Lord of the Rings. And in Lord of the Rings, at the very end, in the books, uh, once they defeat Sauron, there is essentially another battle in the Shire. They don't show it in the movies because it would be too much after a a four-hour. Yeah, exactly. And there's this whole battle that happens in the Shire, and it basically also, he wanted to for the idea of Aragon was he a good king what did he do with taxes did he basically order genocide and all of the orcs that were still alive all of that so he wanted to take that one step further than J.R. Tolkien and so I think this was George R.R. Martin directed this could have been the structure of his entire series of the Night King essentially dying pretty early on in the seventh book um, and then the, f- the the final, final question would be who's going to rule Westeros and who's going to act- essentially win that final battle. So after reading that, and I think anything that George R. R. Martin does is more of the official way to go. So I do take his word for it. I do think then I'm okay reading that. And obviously any inspiration I take from Lord of the Rings, I'm like all for it. Yeah. So after reading that, I felt more settled and accepting that the Night King is dead. Now, did I want more of a, you know, exploration of what his powers are, what, you know, these crazy theories are, which I'm not totally educated on? Yes, but I guess it doesn't matter. I think for me, the interesting thing is that we, as a culture, have been all brought up in these stories of entertainment that Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, there's going to be a big battle against the most powerful evil in the world and after that everything is hunky-dory happily ever after we've seen it in lord of the rings movie Mm -hmm. series we've seen it in harry potter defeating voldemort we've seen it in star wars you you strike down the death star and everything's totally fine right? right well obviously not um the the real interesting thing there is the fact that it would actually be cliche, like you're saying, for them to end the whole series on the Night King. Right. And then we don't really see the true aftermath of who's going to rule. So 
that's something that I turned around on this mm-hmm. morning as I, I read that article and as I talked to more and more people about it, that, hey, I'm actually okay with it. Like, we got our big battle. Right. Sure, maybe it would have been okay if it was a couple battles, but we didn't have time for that. Right. But at the end of the day, it kind of did the same thing. We got our big triumphant battle, and now we get to see the truly interesting thing and Which the question the, that everybody has yeah. been having since the beginning of the series, like who's yeah. going to essentially end up in the, on the Iron Throne? Yeah, and we have a lot of plot lines that are set up for a very interesting finale, uh, at least final three episodes. I think we're just conditioned for that epic ending where yeah. the hero <clears throat> stops the unstoppable force. And also logistically, if that were the case, I don't know how they would have won or gotten through like. Say the Night King killed Bran and somehow our main characters get away. I just, I don't know how. And we talked about this in the preview episode. Yeah, it doesn't make it, sense. How would they ever beat him? He would have like a million people in his army. Obviously, he can't bypass the North. Geographically, it makes sense to hit the North first and then go to King's Landing. So it just wouldn't have worked. So this way makes more sense now that i have time to process it yeah and the other thing that's funny to process as i saw the night king crumbling i saw the hopes dreams and theories of all of these nerds out there who spent hours and hours hours theorizing about all these different things oh is the night king bran oh is the night king on a diversion and he's he's headed up to king's land every single person all their hopes and dreams theorizing about this stuff crumbling down like the ice that that made up the the night king i will say when the night king went up to bran and you know they look at each other i swear they were gonna shake hands or smile or merge i don't know i think but it just felt that way i feel like the directors and the showrunners did that on purpose to Mm -hmm. let it let us all sit there because they know the night king bran theory is out there Mm -hmm. because it's been out there for a long time I think they allowed that moment to sit for a little while just to let everybody's minds completely start to spin up. Mm-hmm. But then as he obviously starts to reach for his sword, we get the Arya right. moment, right? And I think, you know, overall, I, a, another big complaint was that it was too dark. And I do agree it was too dark. But um, just if you guys do rewatch it, just the overall scale and then like the ebb and flow of yeah. like hopes and then shot to shit. Hope and then shot to shit. Even when they were fighting and like, you know, they were killing all the zombies around them, for half a second, I actually forgot that the Night King can raise people from the dead because they're fighting and then all these people die and they come up again. It's like, holy shit, I I completely kind of forgot about that. And I was like, well, they're fucked. Like, how the fuck are they going to get out of this? I will say, though, I wish that they had a scene where someone like Brienne fought an actual White Walker. That yeah. would have been a really cool scene because the last time we've seen a White Walker really fight was in Hard Home, and we haven't seen one since. So it would have been cool, especially her, you know, recently, you know, knighted to fight a White Walker because her sword can kill a White Walker. It's Valyrian steel. Yeah, Valyrian steel really didn't come other, into play, other than the dagger at the end. Right. It didn't really come into play, um, and not, neither did the dragon glass because honestly, you can kill the zombies with a regular sword. So the dragon glass. No, that they, everybody was using dragon glass. I know, or, but or fire sword. But really, the dragon glass and the Valyrian steel would have helped with the White Walkers versus just a regular sword. I mean, it helped. Don't get me wrong. I'm just 
it wasn't a key moment that yeah. I was expecting. It kind of was just like the side plot brought up to build Danny and John together. <laughs> um, which is kind of weird, but it is what it is at this point. They seem really crass with each other. Yeah. And I, 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 obviously we're going to get more answers on the status of their relationship in the next episode. It's fairly, but fairly icy it's, right now. <laughs> it's definitely not on good terms. And I'm, I'm very excited to see what that is going to be all about. Because in the next episode, it's kind of like... She seems like she still is the queen and moving forward with the battle and is the one to lead the people to kill Cersei. So we'll see how that's going to play out. Back to a couple technical things in the episode that I really enjoyed. I love the opening scene where it started with Sam receiving his little daggers, but then it went on this kind of continuous shot Mm -hmm. looking from character to character to character. I thought that was really well done. Other technical things that I really enjoyed, I liked the horror sequence with Arya, the the kind of sneaking around the little claustrophobic corridors of Winterfell. The last really technical piece that I enjoyed was the piano music Mm -hmm. overlaid with that final sequence. That That was just unbelievable. And echoes of the the piano music from season six's finale, Mm -hmm. but layered onto this basically hopeless moment Rewatching that again, especially, I, I highly recommend watching it a second time so you can absorb how good certain parts were rather than just feeling tense the whole time. That that whole sequence was fantastic. That was a very powerful moment. I mean, starting off with Sansa and Tyrion and the, the looks that they gave each other, the deep respect, I would even go as far to say maybe some sort of loving yeah. aspect there um, which I'm sure they will answer in the future episodes starting off with that him kissing her hand and then going to Theon and we'll talk about Theon's death in a little bit and then just Bran even you know we make fun of Bran and how he's so monotone and he doesn't have any emotion I will say like even though in a, the monotone way of his delivery of these lines he could see some sort of human emotion that we haven't seen from Bran in a very long time that I really appreciated. I mean, I also loved the dragon fight, even though it was very, very hard to watch and figure out which dragon was doing damage to who. After watching it a couple of times, I think I figured it out. But I just thought that was a very vicious fight, and it was pretty awesome, brother dragon going against brother dragons, and just seeing the damage that each of those dragons did to each other was really I don't want to say nice to watch but really awesome yeah I think the scene would have been a lot better if it didn't have that kind of shaky super up close Michael Bay style action (laughs) cinematography for it but they also don't have as big of a budget as those big movies so you know they can only do so much that fight was really cool though especially when Viserion got his face chewed off that was just and then the fire started bleeding through his cheek and it just had no control I mean he didn't have any control in the first place but completely psychotic yeah just crazy to wrap up your overall feelings about the the episode 
would you put it above Battle of the Bastards or would you, would you not? So that's the we, thing. We both agree that's probably the best one, even mm-hmm. though we like Loot Train mm-hmm. in terms of emotional stakes combined with battle. and Right. So I think with the Battle of the Bastards, when that was coming, we kind of knew like there was going to be, and I, I, I am sorry for anyone that is tired of our Lord of the Rings comparisons, but I think, uh, you know, with the Battle of the Bastards, even with Loot Train, the Battle of the Wall, and Battle of the Blackwater, all those battles you always felt like there was was a Gandalf with the white light there was something that was going to show up and save the day for this one I just I felt no hope and I would say that for me it was more of a massacre than a battle yeah and it was just literally people just you know trying to survive trying to survive freaking out dying and it wasn't I don't want to say dynamic but it it just the zombies aren't battle folks like the orcs in lord of the rings they don't have lines they don't have strategy they're not disciplined so it was just literally undisciplined death coming at you and chewing you up and spitting you out so i feel like i can't really compare now in terms of just the overall quality of the episode i would say i would put it above Battle of the Bastards and Loot Train yeah. just because the artistry behind it, the music, the tension, the emotions you feel, I think is something that is definitely above what I felt when I was watching Battle of the Bastards. Battle of the Bastards, I, it was it was exhilarating, right? It was like you knew Jon Snow was going to triumph and Ramsay was going to die. This one was kind of like, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I personally still think I put Battle of the Bastards above it. Some of the stuff is, I think I'm realizing that even though I thought that I cared most about the Night King and that battle and that conflict in the show, at the end of the day, the more human versus human stories is what really resonates wow, to me. Wow, that was yeah, not something I know, that you I know it's felt surprising, yesterday. But I think I've just gone through a self-realization thing with Game of Thrones the last couple of weeks and that... At the end of the day, we would never get a truly satisfying, like, kind of story from the Night King and Mm -hmm. that overall battle. That was just a force against, that was like classic sci fi or fantasy fighting against an unknown evil, Mm -hmm. not really showing us anything. But when you put humans against humans with real stories Mm -hmm. and and real motivations and and stuff like that, then you get something that truly matters more. I agree with you from a technical aspect. This Battle of Winterfell is better, but Battle of the Bastards still reigns supreme on on my barometer of Game of Thrones battles. So far. We'll see what so the far. end battle yes, is. Yes, and, and we're driving towards that moment of, a, a, once again, human versus human, stories versus stories coming to a head. Um, now, in the we'll next episode, you know... It's going to be interesting because we know the dragons are injured. I think even in the in the preview, in the trailer, Rhaegal has like a huge hole He's in his wing. got holes in his wing. Yeah. Yep. And Daenerys basically lost her Dothraki. I don't really know how much Unsullied she has. I'm not sure if she put everyone out in the field. Can, can we talk about how terrible the plan was with the Dothraki? <laughs> First off, they weren't planning on having flaming swords. So what were they going to do? Just charge out there and die? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it was a terrible plan because if you think about the Dothraki, they're superior when it comes to open field battle. And they are very strategic when it comes to their horses. So they probably thought 
the zombies are there. They could probably trample them with their horses, kill them with their swords. Obviously, they underestimated the power of the Night King and the size of the army and the giants. So I don't really think that was a bad plan. Obviously, it didn't work out. Charging into... I don't... What else would you have wanted, though? Not charge into a river of death. (laughs) They didn't know it was a river of death. They should have seen it coming. They had scouts the days before probably seeing all these dead people walking towards them. I don't know. Just charging into the the black of night didn't seem like a great plan. I mean, it wouldn't have mattered anyways. Also... I know I'm nitpicking and I'm I'm in the mood to start getting into this just a little bit. John and Danny definitely didn't shoot their firepower like enough at all the White Walkers. They well, took a lot of they, time in between. Well, no, they weren't helping enough. I I really I disagree with you. Because... I don't think any of these guys had ever played a video game where you know <laughs> okay. you're supposed to focus on what you're trying to do and actually help your people rather than just let them all die. Well, no, they know. did shoot the fire, and then he saw the White Walkers, and he was about to go down and shoot when the whole snow blizzard came and basically prevented them from seeing anything and. And also made the dragons get pushed away. And they basically lost each other. That's fair. So I, I think, I don't really think that was an issue for me. I have a lot, some other nitpicky issues in terms of why did Daenerys land when she saved Jon. And that, that was that able. Was that was like, okay, even when that was happening, I was like, why don't you hover? Yeah. Hover. like <laughs> Hit the hover it. button. Yes. And or John, why is didn't he just get on Drogon and they both fly to Bran versus yeah. him going through the entire castle? Whatever. But things like that I think are just suspension of disbelief and yep. you know, we can't they probably just can't, you know, figure out those little details or don't have time, don't want to prioritize. But overall, like that made sense to me for the Dothraki to start off first and then the Unsullied kind of protect Winterfell. Um I think the plan made sense and I think I don't know if people watched the um, showrunners um, commentary afterwards, but I think the original plan was for John and Daenerys to wait for the Night King and Viserion and then both of them get on each each of the dragons and then it would be two dragons against one. But since Daenerys completely saw the Dothraki eviscerated, she decided to fuck the plan and just go and burn the zombies that were coming. So I think that also kind of screwed up their strategy. Because I do think the two dragons could have take da- taken down Viserion on its own. So moving to the big deaths of the episode, including mm-hmm. Viserion. Uh, what do you think? I think we should start with Lyanna Mormont. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a cool moment. Shades of Ramsay Bolton, if you ask me. I don't know why. Really? Yeah, you know, an underestimated person killing a giant. I think that's, <laughs> I don't know why, but I thought of that. I like, think it's just the giant killing. Yeah, but I thought that was a Please cool moment. Please don't compare Ramsay <laughs> Bolton to Liana Mormont. <laughs> I mean, he also got stabbed in the eye just like one one did, like shot in the arrow with an eye. That's how you kill but, a giant, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I think I kind of gravitated towards that. But it was good for her to have a moment, like especially if she was going to die, for her to go out in that kind of fashion was adequate for her character, I'd say. Right. I actually didn't think she was going to die. You know, I thought because she's future of House Mormon, I thought yeah, she's she a great actress. Yeah, she was kind of middle of the road on my list. Right, and I thought, you know, she's such a great character that she would live and Jorah would die, which we'll get to. But her death was badass. Like, I I thought the giant was actually going to rip her head off. And, you know, for the second that she took, lift her hand and stabbed him in the eye, it was just a perfect moment. And she did some damage because yeah. 
it's not like she killed, you know, two zombies. She killed a giant who could have done some extreme damage to the soldier. So I think she helped tremendously, and I'm glad she went the way that she did. Yeah, and on the opposite note, a character who died without really being badass, other than saving Sam, was Ed. Pour one out for Ed. He I, saved Sam, I, Yeah, though. I really like Ed, and honestly, Sam deserved to die way more than... <laughs> I don't know. We'll talk about Sam in a little bit, but shout out to Ed. Always liked him. Always one of my favorite Night's Watch people. Um, and you gave me epiphany that his name's not Dolores. Yeah, it's Dolores Ed. <laughs> <clears throat> but apparently his last name is Tollett, and I didn't know that. Well, I thought his first name was Dolores, and I was just no. mispronouncing it. And then yeah. you said Dolores yeah. meant that he was just blah about yeah. life and hated everything, and that was just crazy. Yeah. But anyway. So shout out to Dolores Ed. <laughs> um, we'll see you in another life, brother. Um, next up, Beric Dondarian. I actually really liked his death. I got shades of holding the door. I thought it was going to oh. be a little more I th- because there was one point where he's like right. holding his arms out, getting stabbed by the White Walkers. To buy them time. To buy them time. Beric has also been one of my favorite side characters. He's got a great voice. He's just an overall badass. And we all knew this was his time to go. He even said it himself right. basically in the last episode. And this was a good way to go. Basically saving Arya who was who, who dealt the, the final blow. So, kind of going into the final two major deaths, I don't think we need to count Melisandre. That was more of a disintegration after right. using all her powers, or she's like, "I'm done." Right. But, but shout out to her as well. No more leeches so for for she's Gendry. She's fully redeemed your redeemed herself in your eyes, even though she burned Shireen. Yeah. Huh? And screwed over Stannis. I mean, I guess it was not her intention, yeah. but. I guess she's redeemed in our books. Yeah, so. well, I'll let the Lord of the Light decide that. <laughs> um, so moving to Jorah. Jorah Mormont. Let's pour one out for him. Um, one of the best side characters, I'd say. Mm-hmm. He's been through a lot. Think about it. He started as somebody who was going to betray Danny. He fell in love with her. He got grayscale. He had to go through the most painful medical procedure in Game of Thrones <laughs> history. All to come back to Danny, see her fall in love with Jon Snow, but he ended up being okay with it at the end of the day. And then he goes down fighting. He goes down rescuing Daenerys. He goes down in really painful but noble fashion, taking stabs and and daggers to the heart, but slowly but surely being able to protect Danny. That was especially with the music, that mm-hmm. piano music going, is truly, truly heartbreaking. But there's no other way that I'm sure he would have rather gone. Right, and I like how Drogon came and kind of circled him because I'm sure he feels sad yeah. too because he, Jorah it's was like there. like his uncle. <laughs> uncle Jorah. Jorah was there from the beginning. But Amelia Clark's acting and her sobbing, it wasn't even just like, oh, I'm crying and like teary it eyes. It was legit sobbing. And so I thought that was a very powerful moment. Yeah. Then finally, our boy... We both love Theon Greyjoy. I know. We talked about it last episode. We said, basically, it, there's no way he survives. <laughs> I mean, we, It was built exactly for him to die. I but, did like your thought that he could have maybe survived and Brienne died and he would have been Sansa's protector. But obviously we're terrible at theorizing. <laughs> um, Theon also went out like a champ. He got his full redemption. He was the last one and maybe the only one to get some emotion out of Bran, like you said. Mm-hmm. He heard what he needed to hear. He was back home exactly where he belonged. No matter what things he did in his life, 
he was exactly where he needed to be to fulfill his purpose, and that is to protect the Stark family. Right. And I think for us, the audience, we Theon was already redeemed. I think once he saved Sansa, it was that was it. But I think the character himself didn't feel the full effect of feeling yes. redeemed. Even after John had that conversation, I felt like he needed something from Bran. And so with Bran saying, you're a good man, thank you, I think really gave him final closure because at the end of the day, he was the one that pushed Bran out of Winterfell, essentially taking over the castle and it came full circle. And Bran, like I said, had that snippet of a human emotion when he said thank you and when Theon goes down he looks away and he looks down like he's sad and so I thought that was such an emotional moment and just Theon knowing that he wasn't going to survive but knowing how he's going to spend his final moments in that way and the fact that you know it wasn't a zombie who killed him it was the Night King the ultimate bad you know bad person killed him I think was a very noble way of dying and Bran's right you know if Theon stayed good and he fought with Robb Stark he probably would have died died at the Red Wedding he would have died at the Red Wedding he wouldn't have been able to save Sansa he wouldn't have been able to protect Bran so every bad choice he made actually led to a good outcome yeah um and that goes perfectly into what he finally did and that was buy time he bought time for the final scene Basically, of the episode for Arya to deal her final blow. Wow, what, what a shocker! What a final blow it was. So, for you, it was a shocker. For me, personally, once I saw the wisp of hair of the White Walker next to the Night King kind of get bristled along, I was like, oh, I think it might be Arya. It was it was really because during the whole piano sequence, they hadn't shown Arya and they laid enough breadcrumbs to show that hey, she might be up to something. She had her conversation with Melisandre, and and we really saw that she kind of had this light of realization in her eyes when she ran ran away from the scene of the battle. Once I saw that bristle of the hair, I'm like, oh, man, it might be Arya. I and it did... was just, like, ridiculous. It's funny. Joe always says I turn off my brain to, like, not think ahead, and he's trying to teach me, like, hey, you need to be, like, little finger and yeah. think of all the scenarios. Think of all the possibilities. But when I was watching, I literally forgot about Arya, actually, when she ran away. And that was the Mel- purpose Right, and that's the what they said. said. The showrunners wanted people to forget because you're con- you're worried about John, you're worried about Danny and Jorah, you're worried about Theon, you're wondering what Bran's going to do. So I fell for it in terms of forgetting about her and I was completely shocked. I, she literally for me, even with the bristling of the hair, I still didn't think about it. I still was like, oh, that's just for effect. That's just wind. Yeah, or it's <laughs> just something, you know, it's just something. It was like half a, half a second. So for me... When it happened, I was like, oh, fuck. And then even then, I was like, this is how Arya is going to go down. He's going to choke her or break her yeah, neck. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think and I then thought she was going to die. Right. Because there's, there's some crackling noises. When yeah, when exactly. So it. I literally did not know what was going to happen until she stabbed him in yeah. the heart. Even when she dropped the knife. I mean, obviously, then I knew, but... I mean, I liked how shocked I was. <laughs> yeah, I just like kind of turned off my brain. And I love that they used the dagger move that she used with Brienne during mm-hmm. that sparring sequence, like getting caught but then dropping into her other hand. 
a perfect, perfect kind of execution on that shot, on that effect. And it was probably one it. of the most badass moments in all of Game of Thrones history. Yeah. And when you rewatch the episode, which we highly recommend you do, you'll notice that Arya actually gets arguably the most screen time. If you mm-hmm. watch, she's she's there throughout the battle other than that moment where she runs. Like they re- they really focused a lot of the story of the episode around her. So do you think Melisandre when she sees her for the first time knew? Like in she saw a vision prior to coming to Winterfell that Arya was the one to kill the Night King cuz in the very first or third scene or whatever you kind of see a slow-mo of her looking at Arya, yeah. and then she has that face. And think, then, obviously, think, she tells Arya, gives that motivation, that idea. I think Melisandre saw something in the flames, mm-hmm. whether it was Arya fighting in the battle, Arya flying through the air, or anything like that. Yeah, I think it's it's heavily implied, and I, I think it makes sense to think of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, at the end of the day, Arya triumphed. She, she stabbed the Night King straight into the heart, with the with the Valyrian steel dagger that was given to her by Bran that was in the show since season one, right. and what a way to go! I think in the earlier in the show we talked about how disappointed we were that the Night King died so early. We want to clarify that we liked that Arya was the one yeah, to do it. I, agree. I love the fact that it wasn't Jon Snow. I think Jon Snow was struggling a little bit in this battle with the dragons. He's like, Fuck and this the, dragon, man. I can't even get around this shit. Overall, I guess, confusion and all of that. But um, Arya killing the Night King was just so unexpected and completely beyond what I thought was going to happen. And so I don't know if George R. R. Martin is going to do that in his book, but just the fact that the way she did it was also cool. It wasn't that traditional, like, head-to-head, face-to-face, one-on-one. It was stealth mode Arya, which yep. she learned which she when is. she was, right, when she was um, training. So it was just, it was perfect, and it was epic, and it was awesome. So that's the battle. Where do we go from here? <sighs> I don't know. Obviously, we're wrong all the time. Yeah. So <laughs> why don't we just say what we don't want to happen and then the opposite will happen <laughs> so i don't want john and danny to get married at the end it's weird i mean okay i, I don't want them to end up together and that is literally the one thing that you don't want to happen amongst all of the other things that you probably don't want to happen like cersei winning I would be okay with Cersei winning. <laughs> Versus John and Danny getting married. I'm just saying random stuff so that my theories are all <laughs> No, in all honesty, I, I I think my final theory, and I'll be wrong again, is basically John and Danny won't be together at the end, whether that's John dying or Danny dying. And I think there might be two kingdoms at the end of the day. It might be the north and the south. You know, the Ice Kingdom and the, the Fire Kingdom. I will say, do you think it was appropriate for Sansa to say that to Tyrion about the Dragon Queen in that moment? I mean, Masende kind of gave her good. But do you think that was kind of a bitch move or just save it or that's just who Sansa is? That's just who Sansa is yeah. now. That's just part of her character and it is what it is. There's a funny meme that I'll send through. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically showing like, oh, Danny 
in this battle she was out there she fought people she stabbed like a bunch of people <laughs> meanwhile sansa's down in the crypts and she's the only one with a weapon that can actually kill white walkers and she's busy like bitching about people and not helping at all so it's like at the end of the day danny did a lot better than than sansa did so where we go from here i mean like we said earlier kind of just looking at the lay of the land so her dragons are injured um, she lost the Dothraki. I did, I'm going to guess she has, what, 5,000, maybe 6,000 total. Dude. But you have to remember she has Iron Islands in terms of Yara's people. And then I feel like she's going to leverage the Second Sons. She has some Unsullied there too, I believe. So she might have to bring them over. She has... The rest of the North that didn't show up? That aren't injured or exhausted. <laughs> Um, I also want to say what's going on with the Riverlands. I know they're still under Cersei, but I feel like that's left out in the open. Like Edmure is. It's like why do people have to fight for Cersei? Yeah, I mean, if they if they're not at King's Landing, she could they could easily just turn. Right, turn unless to, to she has a Lannister soldiers basically yeah. guarding the Riverlands. I mean, I don't know if that's going to come into play, but. Where we go from here, I mean, like we said, I mean, it's kind of going to be this awkward thing between John and Danny. I don't know if, I still think they love each other, but I don't know if they're going to have the a whole new world relationship like we saw two Hopefully episodes not. ago. Um, it seems like, like I said, she still is a leader. She's still the queen with Sansa and Danny and John and that Tyrion, that whole dynamic. I still think Sansa is going to play her cards in terms of, I want independence from the north especially we fought hard so i think i'm excited and interested at the end of the day it's unpredictable again right and that's that's all we want what if cersei just wins (laughs) god damn it (laughs) so that's the recap of the episode so next up we go to the mailbag send a raven (laughs) did you send the ravens (laughs) that was your job your only job First question from Nidhi Singh, did Arya change her face into white or not to get to the Night King? Uh, personally, I don't think so. I think you would have seen her take off a white a white walker mask, which would be kind of funny, a, a little a little small white walker crawling around. Uh, I think she just jumped through the trees as quickly right. as she could using her stealth mode. I agree. Uh, Ryan Chan asks, what was Bran doing? Uh, the best joke that I saw on the internet was that he was actually out watching Endgame um, <laughs> before the before the Night King came. So I think Bran was actually following the Night King. Yeah, he was so just watching. So he was just watching where he was going because when the Night King approaches Godswood, um, that's when Bran comes back to real life. <laughs> but yep. um, I think he was just seeing where he was. Observing the battle. Exactly. exactly. Josh Ma asks, why didn't John light the trenches if he was sitting on the damn wall while watching the White Walkers rush in? I actually noticed that too. It's one of those nitpicks in the, the, right. in the plot holes. Also, like another nitpick is like, why when Jon Snow is fighting all the White Walkers, why are they coming at him like one by one rather right. than just like flooding into him? Because, you know, plot armor and, right. and dramatics. So know? I think to answer this question to make it better in my head and to make it make sense is that he probably didn't hear or realize what was going on. Yeah, he's kind of dumb, so. (laughs) (laughs) When he saw the trenches light, he was like, oh, they lit up, so that's fine. I don't need to do anything. Christian Thomas asks, what does the Azora High prophecy and the Sword of Lightbringer mean now after the episode three ending? Um, So 
I'll go with my explanation first. The show never really dove deep into the Zora High prophecy. And for people who haven't read the books, the Zora High prophecy is really um, important and key in the books in terms of just this is the person that's going to defeat the Great Other. He's going to have this flaming sword called a Lightbringer, and he is going to be the one to essentially triumph in the long and, night. Yeah. So with this, it's kind of a weird yeah i don't know it, how to reconcile like it for for the azora high to be aria there's so many things that aren't explained there so it's that doesn't really work so i think though the way that i would like to answer this question is that to me azora high is john and he has brought the flaming sword which is daenerys and the dragons those are essentially the the sword and you can it's a mm-hmm. metaphor for defense essentially um he brought that over and basically defeated the night king's army what i can't reconcile Stretch. though is how is Arya the one to essentially put the dagger into the night the, king? there's a whole other part so of the prophecy. that i can't reconcile but there's the whole other part of the prophecy he's supposed to like sacrifice his loved one he already did that to create the sword though who his wife, uh, Nisa Nisa, that's how he gets the sword. So, so that already happened. But it's supposed to happen again. To, it's supposed to, to happen re, again? To refulfill the prophecy, yeah. Oh, So okay. that's what people are saying, and that didn't happen. So yeah. at so, the end of the day, I think, unfortunately, our question, our, the answer is that the showrunners aren't going to address it, and it's going to be something for George to cover in his last Which kind of irritates me because... You know, Melisandre did talk about the Prince Who's Promise, and I know she was referring to John. But that's all she said. But you obviously know the showrunners know these books like the back of their hand. So, I mean, I guess I know they're trying to simplify. Yeah. But the fact that they're just completely ignoring it and just leaves these questions unanswered, I think doesn't do justice to the overall story. Yeah, and I think that's always going to be a part of game of thrones final couple seasons mm-hmm. where we're losing out on some of these things that were built up a little bit and i think these things that are more of the fantasy elements are really interesting and the fact they're just ignoring it sucks scott roberts asked i still feel like i have no idea what the hell brand's deal is or why he and the night king were linked when Bran warged into those ravens and the Night King seemed to re- react to something, I didn't get what was going on. Did I miss something? For me, when the Night King can sense when Bran is close to him, so that's one thing that he saw. And that's the only reason why the Night King was kind of reaching out to him because he has the mark on him, right? He knows where Bran is. Um, in terms of why they were linked other than that... Doesn't... I think that Night King always has a link with all of the Three-Eyed Ravens. Um, but why? Because... Nobody knows. Nobody knows, and that's and something maybe the books need to answer. Maybe the books will. Maybe the prequels will. Right. Maybe there'll be brand chapters, and, but it's but not going to co- cover it in It's the not going to cover in the next three episodes. But I, with the deal with Bran is that... His whole shtick is that he is the history of Westeros. And also, he has eyes onto the Night King. So the Night King obviously wants to kill him so he can have freedom to basically go wherever yeah, he wants to. and that to. was all explained in the that last episode. That was all episode. explained. But the thing is, they're, they're, they didn't really... Bran didn't explain how he knew that. He's just like, oh, this is it. 
It's well, just exposition. He, he doesn't explain what he is anyways well, but to that's, anyone. But that's what we want. We want an explanation, not just the answer. Right. And I don't think and we're going to get that gonna from gonna get the that. TV show. I think yeah. we're just going to have to make assumptions in our head. But to simplify this answer, it's basically that the Night King and him were linked because of his mark. And the Night King always wants to kill a three-eyed raven. Every single three-eyed raven that was before Rand, that was his first and foremost mission and to kill men why and so we'll never know well to erase the history of men why though because that's his mission that's why he was created that's why the children of the forest created and he misinterpreted the entire is it though? mission like he wasn't told to do that he was just he just got a dagger plunged into okay, his heart and gonna, sent down kill them all they're not gonna show a little children the child of the forest well, have a conversation with the night king hey this is what you're gonna do a you're gonna kill all the children of the men b you're gonna vindicate us c you're gonna let us live like but, i'm sure that was children, magically communicated why the ch- children of the forest want to kill the three-eyed raven i think he's not even a man right i think maybe the night king i think the night king maybe just misinterpreted the whole message that the children of the forest was going i mean they basically lost control i think of the night king i think it goes into something that's a personal qualm i have with the night king and how he's been portrayed lately with a little bit of emotion lately like the smirk in this episode i know people liked it but personally i don't think the night king ever should have showed any restraint any like try to be cockiness like him raising the white walkers as a message to john and hard home all that stuff it, it might have been cool for dramatic effect but i always thought that especially even in the books that having the night king and the white walkers just as a force of nature that have no emotion and they'll just keep coming that to me was a lot more intimidating than those moments but i digress Another question from Scott Roberts. Do you think they should just abandon Winterfell now and build a new castle somewhere else? Because who realistically is going to clean up all that mess? I mean, yeah, all the people who would clean it up are dead. So they should just burn that motherfucker down and move to somewhere warmer. Yeah. Yeah. Carly Hess asks, why did no one die of exhaustion? Well, you know, Sam basically did. <laughs> he he's just, just cried he's like, at the fuck end. this. He started laying down and crying. And I mean, I yeah. would do the same, but I think it's kind of flight or fight response. It's the adrenaline kicking in and just fighting for your goddamn life. That goes into Blake Friedman's question. How did Sam survive? Seriously. I... I don't know, man. He's at what at that one part of the scene. He's literally just laying down there, crying, right. and like stabbing behind him a little bit, and then just crying. And oh, John, was he stabbing? I, he was. And then John looks at him and just like runs. He's like, "Fuck that!" Dude. He's like, "I can't save your ass." Seriously, Sam has that is like the worst plot armor. Sam just being able to survive. He was literally on the front lines. Every single one of the main characters are on the front lines. And only like three of them died. It made me lose a lot of respect for Sam. I don't think he they, shouldn't have been out there. Yeah, I don't think they portrayed him properly. They should have made him more brave. Like freaking Samwise Gamgee Sam carried Slayer. Frodo up the yeah. mountain. You think Samwell Tarly will? No, clearly not. I think he should have just stayed in the crypt and that would have probably been the most heroic thing that Sam would have done and maybe killed one of the zombies in the crypt. That could have been fine. The fact that they showed him running away, showing him freak out, and showing him just straight up crying like a (laughs) child was just sad. I just, I lost a lot of respect for him. I did. Next question from Bob Red Jones. Along the same line as Scott's questions, 
What do you think happened to the Mordor after the ring was destroyed? Do you think the lava went away and the land resettled? <laughs> I think we're in the wrong storyline. <laughs> I don't even think anybody would want to live in Mordor anyway, even if the lava went away. That place is a shithole. It's all black and like completely desolate. I, I just love how Lord of the Rings is the most comparable fantasy story because... I mean, you just can't help yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you just can't help yourself with the jokes. You can't help yourself with thinking along the same lines. I mean, even Miguel Sapochnik said he drew inspiration from watching Helm's Deep, which I actually rewatched right before this episode just to kind of prepare myself. I mean, there were significantly different battles, um, but... You know, there were some similarities that I'm not going to just go into. It holds up, though. It holds up. I definitely think Helm's Deep still holds up. And it's way better than, than Return of the King. I'll stand by that forever. <sighs> that's another forever. That's another podcast Two Towers for is way time. better than Return <laughs> of the King and that stupid ghost shit. Anyways, speaking of ghosts, last two questions from Joe McNeely. The first one is, what is Ghost's purpose in the show? Ghost's purpose in the show is to chew up as little CG budget as he can. <laughs> And then he'll probably show up pretty strongly in the last episode or two. I wouldn't doubt that. I mean, I'm just kind of shocked that John was like, yeah, show, go, go for it, Ghost. Go sit in the front lines along with Jorah and the Dothraki. And what? the fact that, you know, it was cool that I think we complained a lot, and I'm sure a lot of people complained a lot, that where the fuck is Ghost? He doesn't do anything. And the fact they were like, all right, people, we'll give it to you. Ghost is going to go in the front lines. He still but didn't do anything. They, yeah, they didn't show him afterwards. I was like, did Ghost die? But then I also knew that they wouldn't just let him die like that. They would actually show his death. I mean, yeah, he didn't really do anything. I just feel like John just does not care about him. I just want honestly a john and ghost moment together you know i also want a john and Regal moment together it just seems like he got on this dragon's back and then it's like that's my pet and i just feel like john doesn't care about his animals or has a relationship with them like daenerys has a dragon and i don't know ghost should have just at least been with sansa on top of the wall yeah. with Arya. that that would have just made more sense or stay in the crypts or to stay defend in the people crypt. down there yeah to defend people kind of like what summer did with bran in the cave defend people like that it's kind of like they just forgot about him and they're like hey let's just pick some shots to plug him yeah in, right? exactly and so honestly i think the purpose of him ultimately will be for him to die maybe saving john in some sort of way but that's That'd be it. Horrible. I mean, I just, I really do hate how the Little TV series them. have neutered the importance of the wolves. You know, I, I think the most that we ever saw of the wolf is when Rob Stark, you know, used Grey Wind to scare Jamie. That was probably the most badass wolf moment. I mean, even the way Summer died was just kind of like, oh, yeah. I guess that's how he's going to go down. Yeah, he evaporated. Right, basically. right. Yeah. Final question. Joe McNeely again asks, will Danny and John continue to hook up? Seems like the show needs some incest to keep the lights on. I don't know why, but I laughed so hard when I read this question because it doesn't need incest to keep the lights on. I think people are still really interested, but we kind of covered it. I really have no idea. I think they're done. What they're... You really think they're... I don't think she's pregnant anymore either. I'm oh my go... God. I'm going back. Really? I'm going back. Oh my God. I mean... I think all our theories are shots of shit. I mean, obviously, like, we were wrong. We thought she wouldn't find out that they were related. But I was even, me and Joe were talking about it. Do they even care? Do they even care about the incest? They might be okay with it. I was looking up articles today about, like, 
does does the incest matter because I personally feel like it's not going to be a point of contention because if it did I feel like at least John would have mentioned it to Sam and when he found out I know he was processing a lot of things but if that was something that needed to be addressed I think it would have been brought up already and the fact that it hasn't I think the showrunners are like hey it, it is what it is people know that but it's not going to be an an issue it the, the issue between them is really of that he is the true heir yeah so for me that irritates the fuck out of me because I think that incest is very important because if you think about the show and a lot of the problems that Ned Stark had was with Jamie and Cersei and their incestuous babies. They make fun of incest. I mean, the fact that like Jon Snow grew up has Stark and Starks don't really do incest. I think like maybe back then there was like some weird cousin or uncle niece marriage or whatever that I read. But like other than that, I just feel like it would have been something that would have been addressed and it's not and it's weird to me it's kind of like this loose thread that's not going to be essentially threaded so it irritates me yeah i'm at i'm at the same point i think both you and i had real trouble with the incest and rightfully so (laughs) during season seven but they didn't seem to care last year and don't i don't think they care this year like you're saying the real key is that he is the heir and right. it's not about the incest. Um, so, Joe, to finally answer your question, I agree. I still say no more incest. It's just not going to happen anymore. But I still think the show will in- continue to keep the lights on, and we will obviously continue to watch. The franchise that is Game of Thrones overall will keep HBO's lights on for, for <laughs> a long time to come. They're going to have plenty of spinoffs. So with that said, here we go, the MVP of the episode. Regina, who do you think? So I'm not allowed to have two? No. There's not two MVPs unless you're in baseball. And okay. We, we, don't, we don't. Why does this have to be basketball? <laughs> Who said this was comparable to basketball? <laughs> Fine. I'm actually going to subvert expectations here and say the MVP of the episode is Liana Mormon. The king in the north. Oh. I mean, I'm going to give that girl a lot of credit because she took out a giant and she's like four feet tall. And so I think she had a really badass death, like I said. And, you know, that giant could have done a lot of damage. and Could have killed John. You never know. Could have killed, stomped on him. And uh, (laughs) He's a little little small, so he might have missed him. (laughs) She really, really uh, did some good there. And I I know I'm not allowed to have more than one, but Mm -mm. fine. Fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. Runner up, is there an MV number, MVP number two? Does it work? Yeah, that number way? two on the rankings. Okay, fine. Theon, of course. I want to say Theon. All right, well, you just stole my thunder. Um, <laughs> my MVP of the episode was Theon Greyjoy. The king in the north! I can't believe people are going to be pissed that no one, we, none of us picked I Arya. Mean, look, we can have our own discussions, and we talked about that it's all about the, the definition, but the most emotionally arresting part for me was when Theon died. Mm hmm. Because we have such a love for Theon and his story arc and who he is as a character. So for me, yeah, Arya did the biggest action. But emotional resonance is what matters for me for MVP. And I'm going to give that to Theon Greyjoy. What is dead may never die. 
And with that said, this episode may never die, but you don't have to listen to it anymore. So thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. All men must die. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to keep that in.